prices are going up, and I just couldn't afford to keep it in the tank. <clears throat> All right, Romans chapter 6 tonight. Romans chapter 6 again. We're glad you're here, and again, we are. We've got our men's conference coming up Friday, 6 to 6.30 is the registration. What I understand is there's about, I think there's uh, 80 or more fellows just from our church going to plan on being there. We're excited about that, and of course, there's some other churches coming as well, and uh, a number of churches actually. And so we're looking forward to a great, great weekend, Friday and Saturday. It'll kick off, like I say, at 6.30 and run right on through till Saturday, probably around 1 o'clock. And we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a great, great time. And uh, so far, from what I understand, all the preachers are still lined up, ready to go. And that's exciting. And so uh, look forward to see you guys on Friday evening. And so we'll have a good time. Okay, Romans chapter 6. Um, you know, we've been dealing with sin, or at least that's been the topic here for a while, and uh, so we've been addressing that issue. We've kind of kicked things off in the book of Romans chapter 6, and that's kind of where we've been uh, starting things off, and then we kind of run through and 
give a little bit of a summary of what we've been talking about. Then we kick off, we kick into the, get into the new stuff. So let me just read a couple verses here because they do set the stage and the tone for our topic here. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, the Bible says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. And we talked about that, and boy, I'll tell you what, what a wonderful truth that is. We spent a lot of time on that last week, didn't we? And that's good, and uh, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it now, but we are certainly glad that the old man is crucified. That's important, isn't it? But just because the old man is crucified doesn't mean we don't have this old flesh hanging around. And uh, over there in the book of Romans, again, chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, the Bible says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Again, we can't let that sin reign in our mortal body, he said. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. <clears throat> so on the one hand, you know, we've, we've, the old man's dead. He's been crucified according to the Word of God. While on the other hand, we have to be very diligent to resist the flesh, to purposely yield our members under righteousness. And so it's a constant battle and it's a warfare that we fight. And we can't give up. We can't give in. We can't run up the white flag. We've got to keep fighting. It's a battle. And so we've said that in, a, in essence, there's virtually, and again, we said because of clarification or just simplicity, we've called them two natures. But we have the flesh and we have the spirit, if you will. And so we have the physical, which is sinful, if you will, in the likeness of Adam. We have the spirit, which is, of course, spiritual, perfect, and in God's image. And so we have those two, and it's almost as though we have them, you know, kind of warring with one another within us. And so there's that constant battle taking place. And so we've been talking about that battle. We've been trying to work through some of the issues that we uh, face as believers in this flesh as we live in the world in which we live. And so we talked about a number of things, but we finally came to the question and to the point, I should say, of saying, what things can I do to overcome sin? That's where we've ended up now. And we've been talking about that over the last few weeks as well. But what things can I do to overcome sin? <clears throat> sin isn't easy to overcome at times. It's, it's pretty tough in the world we live in, isn't it? It's a challenge. It's a battle. It's a warfare. And again, it's because of those two natures, if you will. It's because of the flesh and it's because of the spirit warring one against the other. And it's important which one we feed, as we found through this series as well. We said that first you must accept responsibility for your sin. You've got to accept responsibility. We said that because believers are no longer bound to sin, when a Christian sins then, it's an active choice of the will. We decide to sin. We choose to sin. Nobody makes us sin. We do it on our own. We make that decision now. We're no longer bound by sin. Therefore, it's not the devil that made me do it. It's me. It's me. Then we said, don't allow sinful thoughts to control your mind. And, of course, we utilize the verse over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And we said there's some certain thoughts that, that need to be cast down. So we've got to cast down some thoughts. We've got to be careful with that. Then we've got to corral your thoughts. There's certain thoughts that need corralled. And then there's others that need corrected. And we talked about that. We addressed that issue. Then number three, we said, you know, don't make provision for the flesh. 
Don't make provision for the flesh. We said that we're admonished to resist. And we saw that. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And we said, yes, resist the devil. But in reality, the devil is by no, by, by no means intimidated by you or I. He's not intimidated by us. But I tell you what, if you will, as the Bible says here, submit yourselves therefore to God, then he's got to face God. He's got to deal with him. Let me tell you something. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world then. <clears throat> so we saw that we're admonished to resist. But not only are we admonished to resist, but the Bible goes on to tell us that we are admonished to flee. We're admonished to flee as well. So we're supposed to flee. Get out of Dodge. Make tracks. Don't allow yourself to flirt with sin. Just get moving. And then we said also when it comes to this issue, you know what? Even better than resisting or fleeing is avoiding. Avoiding. And we saw that. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So just avoid that thing. And then we finally talked about last week, we said, all right, in this area of what things can I do to overcome sin? Realize that you're dead in sin in Jesus Christ. Realize that you're dead in sin. Remember, we spent a lot of time last week with our illustration talking about how we have fact. And fact is walking along that, that ridge, if you will. And right behind fact is faith. And faith is keeping his focus on fact and keeping his eyes on fact. And behind faith in his feeling. And we said the moment that faith gets his eyes off of fact and gets them on feeling, then feeling and faith end up in the gutter. But the moment that faith gets its eyes back on fact, it is immediately back on track again. And we made the connection and understood the, the, the picture here that you and I as believers cannot function and operate on our feelings. We must function and operate on fact. And the Word of God is factual. The Bible says, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is true. And so if we'll keep our eyes on the Word of God, if we'll focus our attention on truth, then we'll stay on the right track. The moment we turn and get involved in our feelings and get our mind wrapped around our circumstances and situation, we find ourselves being quickly lost on the side and often out of the game. So we have to focus and keep our faith focused on fact. And the fact is, is that we've been crucified with Christ, right? I mean, His death was our death on Calvary. And so by faith, we have to reckon that to be so. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, it says in Romans 6.11. And so that brings us now to another point. Again, if we're going to overcome sin in our life, then there's a number of things we need to do. And we just discussed four of them. But now let's begin today with number five. If we're going to overcome sin in our life, we're going to get victory over sin, then we need to judge ourselves and sin. Judge ourselves and our sin. So, I would say, judge yourself in sin. And uh, that's important. And so, we're going to address that issue and maybe even another along the way. But before we do, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this moment. Father, we need you. And again, we thank you for these that have gathered. Lord, we don't get here or gather here for the simple uh, fact of just getting together, fellowshipping with ourselves, one with another. Although that's important and it's needed and it's necessary, we really come to glean from your word and to ultimately fellowship with you. So, Lord, I pray that you just speak to our hearts today. Lord, may you take the simple word of God and 
apply it to our lives in a very simple but very powerful manner. Lord, be glorified now. We're just praying that your Holy Spirit would do his work as the word of God also probes our hearts as well. We need you today. We love you. We'll thank you. And help us to get victory over sin in our lives, to overcome it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, judge yourself and sin. Look, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, when we get to chapter 11, we know that there we're talking about the Lord's Supper, you know. And, 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 and prior to taking the Lord's Supper, we're encouraged and we are admonished to, 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 to judge ourselves. But I do believe that that judgment ought to be something that we're doing on a regular basis. We ought to be continuing to search our hearts and look for areas of weakness and areas of, of, of sin that seem to pop their ugly head up or maybe the Holy Spirit points out and draws out. And so in this particular case, notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31 and 32. It says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Now, I want you to draw your attention real quick. It says here, notice that we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned. Now, I think that's pretty good, isn't it? I like that part. And, um, you know, the condemnation that the world will face as a result of their sin in the sense that they're lost without Christ. Guess what? Uh, you and I don't have to face that today. However, chastening is on the menu. Now, here's what I want you to see. The process of self-judgment appears to be a very beneficial thing then based on the passage. First of all, what is the benefit? Well, we avoid God's judgment. That's important, too. Okay, now again, and, and I understand, uh, I, don't, don't misunderstand me, I already prefaced this, I realize we're not going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. You will, however, stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ and be judged for your works. I get that. But we avoid God's judgment when we judge ourselves. You had to come to a place where you recognized and saw yourself as the sinner you were, or you'd have never came to Christ. Salvation is by grace through faith, and grace through faith alone. I get that. It's not of works lest any man should boast, the Bible says. But here's the bottom line, too. When the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, he brings you to a place of, of conviction, of understanding that you are the sinner that you are. That Jesus is perfect and holy as he is. And that Satan is going to be judged along with all those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And you come to the place in your life where you realize that I'm that sinner. And if it wouldn't be for Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice on Calvary, then I would be lost. You judge yourself condemned. And as a result, you can avoid the judgment of God. But even so, when we judge ourselves, we avoid chastening in our lives. As believers, we are the children of God. And God only chastens His own. He doesn't go around the block and grab kids that aren't His and spank them. He doesn't take liberties like that. He only chastens His own. And so we find here in the passage that he says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. Uh, for when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Hey, listen, you avoid chastening when you judge yourself. When you catch yourself. When you don't have to leave it to daddy to take care of the business. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always enjoyed it when my kids came to the conclusion that they were wrong. I always liked it when they realized before I had to address it that they had rebelled or done something amiss. 
There was a different attitude from me, Dad, whenever they came humbly to me and admitted their fault and recognized that they had sinned or they had transgressed the law of the household. There was a difference in how I dealt with that. And may I say that God deals with us differently when we go to Him and say, God, it was me. It's me, O Lord. I'm the one that messed up. You're right. I'm wrong. I ask your forgiveness. Well, there's something different about that. When you realize it's from you, you're wrong. It's not God. It's not someone else. It's just simply you're judging yourself. You're looking inwardly. You're trying to figure it out before you have to get, I guess, a tap on the shoulder and say, hey, wake up and smell the coffee. And that's a good thing. So how important and essential is the Word of God in this process? Because again, if we're going to judge ourselves, then we need a standard by which to judge. So the Word of God becomes extremely important. So what makes something wrong and right today? I guess that's really the wrong question, isn't it? Because there really isn't a whole lot that makes anything wrong or right today. As we saw in some of the statistics that I shared, I think, the other day, or maybe I'll be sharing them soon. Uh, I can't remember sometimes. There have been so many of them I've been running through my head lately with different messages. But we, we see that we've changed our attitude toward what's right and wrong, haven't we? It's not how it used to be. There aren't absolutes as there used to be. Although the absolutes are still there. Don't misunderstand me. It's just that we don't recognize them as absolutes anymore. People don't recognize the authority of the Word of God. They don't see it as the absolute that it is. Therefore, you have every right to determine what is right for you. At least according to the world today. Well, that's a dangerous place to be. But as a believer, we are well aware that the Word of God is the authority. Again, as we said, that it is the truth. He says in Psalm 119, 160, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. If I want to find truth, I find it in the Word of God. That's where it's found. John 17, 17, we already quoted it once. But it says, Sanctify them through thy word, thy, uh, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Once again, you know, we realize again that the Bible is God's Word, that it is the authority here on earth today. Of all the authorities on earth, none is greater than the Word of God. I don't care how many PhDs or whatever there is in front or behind a name today, they have no more authority than this book. doesn't make them right because they've had so much education. May I say that Jesus Christ knows everything, and is everything, and He is creator of all things. Therefore, I think He has a better handle on you and I than even the greatest doctor. And so we see here that, that there can be no real recognition of sin then without the Word of God. Because, see, it's the Word of God that defines what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, what is righteous or evil. This book defines that. Not you and not me. Uh, someone says, you know what? I love chocolate. And someone else goes, oh, chocolate is gross. Chocolate is the best thing ever. Someone says, chocolate is terrible. Well, who's right? Of course we know who's right. The one that loves chocolate. But the fact is, is that there's no way that you can really, I mean, really, I mean, where in the Bible does it say, chocolate is good, thus saith the Lord? You're not going to find that, right? 
So that's a matter of preference, is it not? For believers, though, we know if we're going to find an absolute of us say the Lord, or we're going to find a biblical principle by which to draft or come up with our convictions, then we're going to find it in the Word of God. By the way, you do not need a thus saith the Lord to have a conviction. You need a Bible principle to have a conviction. And so many times, is it not frustrating to tears at times to hear backslidden Christians talk about the fact that, well, I don't know how you can say that's right or that's wrong. Where's it say? Where's it say that in the Bible? Have you read the Bible? I mean, does it have to say, thou shalt not have 16 wives? It doesn't have to say that specific. Well, I only have 15. Show me where I can't have 16. I mean, that's about how ridiculous this gets. It, it's, it's a principle that we're to base our truths, our, our convictions on. Principles. And God doesn't spell out every one of them. By the way, in your home, isn't it a funny thing? You don't teach your children necessarily. Uh, listen, if you discipline your kids for actions, you're going to have a real rough time because there's a million different things they can do wrong. But if you, you discipline them for attitude, it changes everything. And not only that, but like, for instance, okay, don't touch the television. No. Don't touch the coffee table. No. Don't touch the Bible. No. Don't touch this. No. Don't touch that. No. Don't touch that. No. You don't have to do that if you train them properly. They know they're not permitted to touch anything that's not theirs. And all of a sudden, they don't, they don't touch things that aren't theirs. It's, it's an amazing concept. It's a biblical concept. And so we have to use some wisdom there and realize that God's going to define things as right and wrong. But where do you find that? In His Word. In His Word. So that's how important the Word is when it comes to judging ourselves and judging sin. See, as a result, there can be no real recognition of sin without the Word of God. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 6. Romans 7, verse 6. You wouldn't think I'd tell you that without showing you some verses to prove it, do you? It wouldn't mean a whole lot if that was my opinion. I had a Bible college professor. I mean to tell you, he drove me up a wall. I remember every time he'd say, all right, what does, uh, what does Romans chapter 6 verse 7 say? Well, I believe it's saying, he says, I don't care what you believe. But, but I think that I don't care what you think. Well, I feel that it's, it, who cares how you feel? What does it say? And I'm like, are you kidding me, dude? I mean, come on now. Don't you know who I am? I was nobody. But anyway, the fact is, is that he was driving me nuts. I'm like, are you kidding? I mean, what I think is important is what you think. And, and somebody said that to him one time. And he said, you're right. You are absolutely right. And what I think doesn't matter either. It's what God says. That's all that matters. What God says well, I think God means. Who cares what you think he means? What's he say? Boy, he just ran that. I mean, he run that down our throats and ran it down our throats over and over and over and over again. So here it is. Romans chapter 7, verse 6 and 7. Notice, but now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Did you see that for a second there? 
I'm sorry, but I have to go back there for just a second. It, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm not joking. It seems to me that a lot of Christians today have gotten the idea that anything that would even be considered law, any rule, any regulation, any standard is law. It's law. It's law. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Wait a second. Um, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Do you realize that the Old Testament law, yeah, that law that you, you, you don't have to keep the law to be saved. You get it? We do. We get that. We understand that. But let me ask you something. Thou shalt not kill. Oh, is it okay for us to kill? Because we're not under law? No. Is the law sin? Absolutely not. It doesn't save us. But it's certainly something that we need to abide by in that sense. Oh, we don't have to keep the dietary laws. We don't have to keep the ceremonial laws. We don't have to sacrifice animals. Jesus paid all that. He settled all that. Those were all pictures of something that would come. May I say that's done and done uh, done with. But there's still those moral laws that are still in effect today. Do you realize that nine out of the ten commandments that are listed in Exodus and Deuteronomy are restated in the book of Romans? For the believer... Of course we're to live moral, clean lives. That doesn't mean that we're trusting in works to get us to heaven. It should be an outpouring of our thankfulness and gratitude to God and the work of the Spirit in our lives. So he says, nay, watch this now. God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. The writer, the Apostle Paul, is saying, listen, I wouldn't even have known I was sinning if it wouldn't have been for the law that defined what right and wrong is. Now, the law doesn't save me, but the law certainly condemned me. That's what he's saying. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Again, we're finding the purpose of the law here now. We're understanding why it existed. And again, when it comes to judging ourselves, there's no way that you and I can judge ourselves Unless we have a perfect standard, unless we have a holy standard, unless we have God's standard. Because the truth is, everybody in this room has their own standard of what they believe to be right and wrong. And the truth is, is not one of us are probably 100% right unless we're 100% lined up with this book. Notice Romans three nineteen and 20. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. That every mouth may be stopped. But but are you under the law? Absolutely not. So guess what? The law really isn't telling you anything now. But it did tell you something. Watch what it told you. It said, it said to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying that this law... Those Ten Commandments and the other laws that we find in the Word of God, the requirements and the standards by which God sets are are, are beyond us in ourselves. We can't keep the Ten Commandments. We can't follow the law perfectly without sin. We're going to falter. We're going to fail. And as a result of that, we say to ourselves, I am a sinner. That's the purpose of the law. God never intended the law to save mankind. He realized it would only take a perfect sacrifice because someone had to die. But the law points out our deficiency. 
and reveals to us our great need of a Savior due to our great sin. Verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is, here it is now, the knowledge of sin. You say, man, you telling me I need to judge myself and my sin? Okay, what's the standard? You, preacher. Oh, I suppose you're the standard. No, I'm not the standard. (laughs) Now, you'd fall miserably short, you follow me. The standard's found in the Word of God. And every last one of us, whether we're uh, preachers or whether we're just, we're just coming every once in a while to church, if we can claim, to, claim the, the, the name of Christ, if we say He's our Savior and Lord, then the standard is the same for the last one of us. It's always the Word of God. You don't have to measure up to my standard. But I promise you, if you measure up to His, you'll always exceed mine. Now, if you know somebody whose standard is greater than God's, they're certainly not living it. I understand that. You just feel like that's what their standard is. They think they got, they're, they're better than God, maybe. I don't know. That's a pretty bad testimony for a believer, by the way. No believer ought to be that conceited and that self-centered and that egotistical and so forth and so on. I don't, I, they shouldn't be that way. Believers ought to be the most humble people in the world. Believers ought to be the first ones to forgive. Because they understand what forgiveness is all about because they were forgiven. I'm not saying that we allow sin to continue to permeate and, and fester and grow in our lives or in the lives of our family and homes or even in our churches. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about living in open sin contrary to God's word when he, sinned, when he clearly judges it as being sinful. But, but, but our attitude towards someone that's involved in sin that is considered sinful ought to be a brokenness for them, a concern for them, a love for them, a desire for them to find their way out of that so that they can experience the true joy of the Lord in their life. Instead of some critical, cynical attitude, some better-than-thou thought that doesn't belong in the Christian's life. So we need to do our best to view our thoughts, our deeds, our actions through the lens of Scripture. There's going to be little that's off limits if we evaluate our lives through our own eyes. We'll justify about anything. We'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll find a way to justify it. As a matter of fact, we can, we, can, we, can, we, can, we can justify about anything and God even reminds us of this. Look if you on Proverbs 21 too. Again, we have to have the standard and that's the Word of God. Because without that, then you and I become the standard and may I say, in our own lives, if we are the standard, then we will find a way to justify anything. Notice Proverbs 22, 21 too, excuse me. <clears throat> Every way of a man is right in his what? Okay, every way of a man is right in his what? His own eyes. Wow. Every wife in the room goes, you're not kidding. Now, the word man here is referring to all of us in a sense, okay? But the truth is, is that, hey, we can justify about anything. Notice he goes on to say, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. He ponders, he knows. So every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Wait a second, let me ask you something real quick. Because I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm not sure how, what that really means. Every way of a man. I mean, what's, what's that mean? What, what's, what's that mean? 
Does that mean he'll justify a little sin then? He'll consider that right in his own eyes. Just a little sin. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. That's the little stuff. Every way. Let me see. Every way. What does that mean? Oh, every way. You mean even the bad sins. You know, we make the distinction, you know, little, big, bad, not so bad, real bad. You know how we do that? Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. What he's saying is, it doesn't matter whether you're a murderer, whether you're a, um, uh, a thief, whether you're a liar, no matter what you are, no matter what you do, you can justify anything. You can justify those thoughts of hatred. You can justify that unwillingness to forgive. You can justify that, that bitterness in your heart. You can justify that horrible action or those, those acts that you do that are wrong, biblically, scripturally, morally, ethically, whatever. It doesn't matter. All things. All things. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Notice Proverbs twelve fifteen. Now the, the Lord gets a little personal here. He talks about the way of a fool. <laughs> but wait a second, every man, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. I think Proverbs twenty one two and Proverbs twelve fifteen talking about the same guy here. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Again, that sounds pretty close to what we just read, isn't it? Now he's defining this person as a fool. That's a foolish thing to remove God's standard from your life, from your marriage, from your home, from your church, from your country, from your world. That's a bad thing to do. It's not a very wise thing to do. I don't know how they can say those things. I don't know how he could ever do that. I don't know how. I'll tell you how. Uh, let's see. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Oh, wait, I'll tell you how. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. They get to the point where ultimately they have no standard but themselves, and therefore they can justify anything in their life. And may I say we. Here's how we do it. See, see here's the Bible. We go like this. Okay, that part's true. I, I got that down. Well, the rest of it? Eh. Oh, wait, no, you're right. No, you're right. These pages, too, over here. These ones, not those ones in the middle. Let's get rid of those ones, because I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. I don't enjoy having to, you know, hold back. I want, I'll, I'll obey this ones. I'll obey these ones, but keep the rest of those down. See, I, I only, the authority of the Word of God is limited in our eyes to these little few pages. The ones that we want. In a sense, we've already become that fool then. We've already started deciding which part of the Bible's really authoritative and which part isn't. We've gotten bigger than God even when we know more than He does. When it says that, it's, that sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, we go, well, only part of it is for me at least. Okay, okay, maybe it is truth, but not in my book. As soon as you move this out of the way and it's no longer the authority, you can justify anything in your life. And if we're going to judge ourselves, if we're going to avoid the chastening of God, then we have to base our judgment on a perfect standard. Not what the church... Did. Well, with our other church, it was okay. 
at, at, at that other place, it was all right. When I grew up, it was all right, or it wasn't good, or it was, or it isn't, or... No, 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 no. Let's just stop about what happened then, what's happening now. No, let's think about what God says in His Word, because this is what really matters. Now listen, I had wonderful parents growing up, but I'm going to tell you something. If I learned anything from my parents that did not line up with this book, guess what? Let every man, let, let, let God be true, but every man a liar. I'm sorry, but the Word of God is more authoritative than my dad at home when I was 16. Or when I was 18. Or ever. I'm telling you today that it's all right. If my child comes to me and says, Daddy, you taught me something growing up, but look in the Word of God. I want to show you something. When we grew up, we believed this. And I'm telling you, I see it differently in the Word of God. Right there it is. And I just say, Son, you've got to follow the Word. Because what the Word says is what's true. It's the authority. The final authority. Again, it... The Word of God doesn't work. If you got a good mom and daddy like I did, they did things to help you and make you better in the long run. And if they made a few mistakes because they're human, I guarantee you they didn't make any more than you're making. It's a teenager. So just show them a little grace. You'll get through it. And one day, if you can show them from the Word of God some things that were wrong and you can do it with the right spirit and the right heart without acting all self-righteous, then... Good for you. But in the meantime, just do what you're told and suck it up and go forward and live life and please the Lord. <clears throat> Thank you, preacher. We love you for that. Yeah. Proverbs 16, 25. We're almost done. There is a way, and this is the real end of it all. Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. This is so important, isn't it? I don't care if your parents, just I'm going to hit the teens a little bit. I don't care if your parents are saved or lost. You, you obey your parents. Because the moment you stop obeying your parents, then you're the one that's doing things your way. You're doing what's right in your own eyes because God says for you to honor and obey them. And guess what you got to look forward to? Death. Listen, I, I'm not trying to be, you know, so, you know, uh, you know, Nelly negative here. I guess I should have said Ned negative. But, but I'm just saying, we need to be careful because we can justify anything when we get away from this right here. When, when this doesn't apply to me now, it may apply to everybody else. It just don't apply to me. That's a problem. So get into the Word of God. Weigh your thoughts. Weigh your actions. Weigh your deeds in light of the Scriptures. And you'll find that there is always room for growth and progress. Every one of us have room for growth. When we start getting in the book and we get closer to God and we begin to really understand His Word and the light of the Word begins to do its work in our heart and our lives, now there's not one of us in this room that doesn't go like Isaiah the prophet, Woe is me, for I am undone. And if we're not there today, then I'll tell you where we're at. If we're not careful, we're standing above the Word. Yet we know a little more than that. When in reality, 
That thing ought to be right here. Man, it ought to be right there. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for the privilege we've had just to take a few minutes and consider this one thought as we